This morning is part one of a two-part election sermon. You say, I thought we didn't talk about politics and religion. Well, we talk about both here, just so you're wondering. I started hoping that I would be able to do both of these sermons at one time today. Realized at, after seven pages of typing, it wasn't going to get done in one sermon. And then I also realized that typically I preach an election sermon on the Sunday before election day, but probably half of you folks have already voted. And so I had to move this back a little bit uh, to get ahead of that curve. I'm one of those who has already voted. And so, you know, maybe this is lost on me. I don't know. I hope not. True politics, as opposed to partisan politics, true politics is essentially just the manner in which we live together and make decisions together. I said something to my father the other night when we were on our nightly FaceTime call about the conversation surrounding the nomination of the new uh, potential Supreme Court justice. And as soon as I began talking about it, my father said, oh, we're going to have to be careful here. This, is, this discussion is going to get political very quickly. And I understood his sentiment, right? Uh, partisan politics have a great ability to divide folks. Folks feel passionately about their political beliefs. But at its core, politics without the partisan part is really just how we make decisions together and how we live together. And therefore, politics, rightly understood, is always at the heart of the Christian religion. Because we affirm that our love, the love the Holy Spirit places in our hearts for others, the love that transforms us, is to be acted upon, must be lived out in relationships, which means the way we express love to others is essentially and truly politics. That, that's what it is. National politics, state politics, local politics, those are more specific things. And I do not intend to address partisan politics today, but Christian politics. Now, there might be some implications for partisan politics in what I say, but I'm going to be talking about the Christian kind today. And before I delve into that topic, I, I probably need to articulate clearly one of the articles of faith of the Church of the Nazarene. The Church of the Nazarene has a very specific statement in its manual about what we believe about Scripture. Here's what it, here's what it says. We believe in the plenary inspiration of the Holy Scriptures, by which we understand the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments, given by divine inspiration, inerrantly revealing the will of God concerning us in all things necessary to our salvation, so that whatever is not contained therein is not to be enjoined as an article of faith. Notice the very first adjective in this definition. It's a word we don't hear very often. It's the word plenary. Plenary. That word has been a part of our articles of faith like forever. The oldest copy of our manual in our church library goes back to 1944. I went and looked yesterday. I was just curious how long that word's been a part of what we believe. It was there in 1944. I don't know about how, when it actually became part of our 
our formation. But, but what does plenary mean? It means full, complete, absolute. And what were the theologians who crafted that trying to say? We believe that the canon of Scripture is God-breathed in its entirety and that it must be taken as a whole. Okay? This is all of it, God's Word. In other words, you can't take just one verse and elevate it above the others and expect that that verse rules everything else. You have to take everything the Bible says about something and figure out, based on what the Scriptures say, what God is leading us to do and who he's calling us to be. And that, that concept, that idea that, that the scriptures must be understood completely as the revelation of God will be important to us this morning as we look at Hebrews 12, starting in verse 14. So I would encourage you in the week that's ahead to read all of Hebrews 12. Really, all of Hebrews 12 is the foundation for what I'm saying. And I'm going to start into Hebrews 12 but I'm never going to make it to the end today. I'll get to the end next Sunday, but we'll start wading into the ocean today. And forgive me if we only get up to our knees uh, today, but we are going to eventually get all wet. And that's where we're going at some point. This is Hebrews 12, 14. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Those are some pretty specific words, aren't they? Those are vice, vices. They're, they're clear. There's, there's no mincing the definitions here. Live in peace, no bitter root. That, that's really very specific conversation. And it's important, I think, when we consider our topic today that we remember that politics, the Christian kind, is always carried out in relationship. The author of Hebrews gives us very strict instructions about what it means to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. And he's going to go on from here to make the argument that these instructions that he is giving us are a product of really the message of a different mountain, right? He, he contrasts the Old Testament uh, holy mountain with the city of Zion, all the imagery that's going to come up. So he's saying, because what's coming in this new gospel is even more glorious than the old, we ought to pay even more attention to it. So these are, these are really significant words for us. I would throw in one disclaimer at this point, though. In a sermon like this, I really don't have anything at all to say to anyone who isn't a follower of Jesus Christ. Everything I'm saying this morning is for the church. It's for those of us who are believers because I can't hold non-believers accountable today for the values of the kingdom of God. I, I grant you, there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and we will all be accountable to the kingdom values. But that day is not this day. Okay, Today, we're still in the in-between times between the establishment of the kingdom and the fulfillment of the kingdom. And so the values we're talking about today are kingdom values and they apply to Christians. This is the gospel way of living in conformity to the teaching of Scripture so that we actually represent the kingdom of which we are a part. 
I mean, I'm assuming that you understand that you are a representative of the kingdom of God, and for better or worse, you represent, right? You know that about yourself. At various times uh, through history, uh, we've characterized groups of people along ethnic lines. You have made, you've maybe heard some of these general, generalizations in the past. You know, those red-headed Irish people have a fiery tempo, a temper. Uh, those stoic Russians are always looking pessimistically at the worst side of things. Those Germans are ultra-efficient, disciplined robots. And the French, well, they're just arrogant, cowardly, immoral lots. I can tell you I've heard enough Polish jokes in my life to verify that this is true. And, and I'm not a fan of pigeonholing people. I don't think there is ever a one-size-fits-all definition that describes a whole nation of folks. However, it is true that groups of people can take on similarities based on their common narratives. There is something to the idea that people who live in this same area have similar backgrounds, are raised with common values, maybe even share a gene pool, may develop broad similarities that can be identified at times. And when it comes to Christian character, that ought to be true of us. There should be something familiar about all of the children of God. There should be a family resemblance, if you will. When we talk about the transforming work of Christ in our lives, we often use the phrase transformation into the image of Christ. The Holy Spirit is working to change us so that we all look more like Christ, which means we should all end up looking more and more like one another so that we all resemble Christ more in terms of our character and in terms of our actions we are slowly becoming more and more like Jesus. We ought to look increasingly like him. Our actions should mirror his as much as possible. Our values should mirror his as much as possible. So when the author of Hebrews tells us what Christian character looks like, we understand that he is articulating a goal for us, something to which we should aspire. And so he says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone. So that's the message. Make every effort to live in peace. Not just a little effort, not just like once in a while effort, not when it's convenient, not when everyone's agreeing with your political opinion who's sitting around the table, but make every effort to live in peace with everyone. How do you embrace that in the middle of this kind of political landscape that we're living in right now? The first thing I would say is you just don't write it off as impossible, right? You might say, given the divide of the nation, how is it possible to live at peace with anyone? Well, if he instructs it, it's possible and he will enable it. But it will require some cooperation from you, okay? If you take it as honest instruction and you pursue peace with everyone, the agenda changes. Don't just write it off. The second thing is you don't provoke unnecessary quarrels, 
right? You really can choose to allow sleeping dogs to just lie. Not everyone must be kicked. You've heard many times the adage, people say, we walk through life with two pails, one in each hand. One has gasoline, one has water. And every time we approach a conflict, we decide which bucket we're going to throw. We're going to throw water on the conflict or we're going to throw gasoline on the conflict. Some of us just can't resist the urge to toss the gasoline every chance we get. Think about that bucket full of water. It's helpful to us. Even if there must be conflict, conflict can be approached gently without unnecessary drama or anxiety, always remembering that our goal is to live at peace with everyone as much as it lies within us. So living peacefully is a goal. Now here's the problem. We have to deal with that nasty word, plenary, right? That, that all of Scripture is inspired. And there are other words in Scripture, like the words of Jesus in Matthew 10, 34, when he says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother. And he goes on and lists different relationships and says, Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Of course, Jesus isn't saying that we should be cantankerous for the sake of being conceited or just to prove that we're right about everything. We're not looking for opportunities to stir up trouble just to keep the waters agitated and well-churned. And he is also not saying that he will be the one to wield the sword that he's bringing. Jesus is saying simply that kingdom values will be objectionable. And simply by being children of God, we will provoke animosity from time to time. Sometimes, when the children of God choose the crosses they pick up, those very crosses cause other people stress. Sometimes our righteous compassion ends up feeling like judgment to others who affirm that what we're doing is right, but they don't want to be involved in that kind of rightness. And so grief ensues. There is a time for a dialogue that's not peaceful. There is a time for protest. There is a time for public lament and a time to raise your voice. Christians ought to have the loudest voices when lamenting injustice or greed or violence. If all of a sudden you discover that your Jewish neighbors are not getting their trash picked up and that they alone are being discriminated against in this way, you must say something about it. You would be right to call the authorities. You would be right to make sure you got satisfaction so that your neighbors were treated justly. If all of a sudden your local elementary school no longer admitted the children of Muslim parents you would be right to call the administration. And if you got no satisfaction there, it would be time to call the newspapers to make sure that that kind of injustice ends. That's not a time for peace. That's a time to speak 
and lament and pursue the justice that God desires. Christians support the cause of justice everywhere for all people because the gospel message is good news for every person God created everywhere because God loves his creation and he wants to love this world through us. Jesus especially admonishes us to stand with the poor, the hungry, the outcast, the foreigner. Luke 4.18, you remember the words, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of the sight of the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You remember 1 John 3.17 and 16 and 17. This is how we know what love is. Christ Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? That's what John writes to us. Proverbs 17.5, we remember those words. Whoever mocks the poor shows contempt for their maker. Whoever gloats over disaster will not go unpunished. The values of the kingdom are clear to us. We are folks who stand for justice. We are folks who passionately display the love of God for all of his creation. These are the specific values of the kingdom of God. And it is our duty to reflect those values in our leaving, in our politics, the way we live with one another, in our Christian politics. Unfortunately, many Christians' Christian politics are more informed by news commentators than they are from Scripture. Even many of our popular Christian leaders are celebrity Christian leaders, and I'm not completely sure it's possible to be both celebrity and Christian leader at the same time. It feels a little bit like an oxymoron to me, but even many of them have lost their way by getting just mucked down in the muck of partisan politics. And I'm not saying that national politics don't matter. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I am saying is, if you are a Republican or a Democrat or an independent before you are a Christian, things are out of order. Your first citizenship is in the kingdom of God. Christ demands that of you. If you're not willing to leave everything behind and follow him, and that means your partisan politics as well, then you're not worthy of him according to his words. Our first allegiance is to the kingdom of God. And that means your platform individually ought to be what the word of God teaches not what you hear on MSNBC or C-SPAN or Fox News or anything else secularly driven. And I'm saying also that if you're having a great deal of trouble getting along with fellow Christians who think differently than you do in terms of partisan politics, then there is something definitely wrong there. Either with the way you are expressing your political beliefs or the way you are thinking about your brother or sister in Christ or the way others around you are doing the same to you. There's a problem there somewhere. I mean, the word of the Lord says very specifically 
there is a time to bring conflict, according to Matthew. And there is a time, most of the time, to pursue peace, Hebrews. And we've got to hold those together. And even when we are articulating ideas that will inevitably cause friction and division, we never do that in obnoxious, aggressive, or damaging or insulting ways. We know way ahead of time that the surgeon will cause pain. But the goal of the surgeon is never to cause pain. The surgeon's motivation is always the health of the patient, and the surgeon does everything he or she can to minimize the pain to their patient. That's who we are as Christians. There are times when our words will bring division and discomfort, but our goal is never to cause pain or harm. In fact, like a good surgeon, we do everything we can to minimize the pain our words will cause while making sure we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit to reflect the truth of God and the values of his kingdom. So now I have to get a little more confessional. You probably know that I'm very quiet about my political opinion in church. You would help to assist me in keeping my mouth shut if you would consider the following advice. It is hard for me to keep my partisan political mouth shut here. It's, hard. it's a discipline. I believe that I have to reserve my influence for the gospel. And because of that, I can't afford the luxury of indulging in those kinds of debates for the most part. But it becomes really, really difficult for me when I walk through the lobby and I hear someone use this phrase. You know, if you're a Christian, you have to... That feels very manipulative to me. It feels like you're saying you personally have the, the right to define what is Christian behavior for all of humanity. And it feels arrogant to me. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't feel strongly about your opinions. And I'm not saying you shouldn't prayerfully articulate your opinions. But when you manipulate to say, if you're Christian, you must, okay? Then I want to go in right away and defend the person who I think is getting bullied. And that puts me at risk. I don't want to be in that place. I would much rather that we were in this building, we talked about the politics that matter, the politics of the kingdom of God and what Jesus can do and how he's calling us to love our neighbors and how he's placing us in mission around our community and how he's answering our prayers and how we can encourage and support one another rather than telling each other what we have to do. Is it possible that we could create a political zone where we talk about the politics of the kingdom? where we talk about evangelism rather than the latest polling numbers, where we talk about the passion of our heart for the lost in our community, I think there's enough to talk about in terms of the politics of the kingdom that we could just sort of minimize the rest of the stuff while we're here and we could make a greater effort to live at peace. Let's talk about your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is 
in heaven. Because that kind of politics is always right on target. Now, I'm not saying we're not going to have some political conversations of the partisan kind. It's too present in our mind. But I encourage you to hear the author of Scripture who says, make every effort to live at peace and to lament what is wrong and then trust the Holy Spirit to do His work among us. It would be inappropriate, I think, to end an, an election-type sermon without reminding you of one final thing. One of the values of the kingdom of God is to pray for our leaders, regardless of who occupies what position in any area of government. And so I would encourage you to earnestly and continually pray that God's justice and mercy and wisdom would be expressed through our leaders here and around the world. Because this desire for peace isn't just for the kingdom of God, it's for the world. You remember the words of the angels, right? Peace, goodwill is the angel's song at Bethlehem. That's the expression of God's desire for us. And so we need to be instruments of his peace. And that's his calling for us in terms of Christian politics today. Pray with me, and then we'll sing, Let It Be Said of Us. Heavenly Father, help us in these days to hear the voice of your Spirit, to honor you by the way we reflect your love. And Lord, may your kingdom come through us, and may your will be done through us. To your glory. Amen. And now may the Holy Spirit walk with you step by step this week enabling you for every good will, every good work, to be pleasing to him according to his will, to his glory now and forever. Amen.